Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening and welcome. This is the front row. Keith Jones with you. Uh, my no more normal cohort, Tom Block, is missing. Tom Lang, he's missing. So we're going uh, Tom for Tom switch. The Tom for Tom switch. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as many of you know, this is uh, spring break for Leon County Schools. And Tom and his lovely wife, Laura, are out and about with uh, Reagan and Nolan. Uh, and our listeners can't see it, Tom, but I'm doing my little I don't have to do that no more dance. Uh, Tom and Laura got started a little later in life with children, and therefore uh, their youngsters are still participating in uh, these types of things. Uh, since my oldest is 29, uh, we don't spring break much anymore. It just doesn't happen. Spring break will be for the grandkids, and then you can just hear about it and see the photos. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. A lot to talk about. You know, we talk about the fall getting busy, but uh, the spring, particularly this week, uh, very, very busy. We'll start with uh, a little bit of a disappointment, but maybe a good showing in many respects. Florida State uh, traveling down to Gainesville, playing the Gators in baseball last night, Tuesday night. Uh, they were shut out. First time they've been shut out, I think, since 94 uh, at McKeithen. Um, got the hits, didn't get the runs. Too many people stranded. Too many people stranded, and it was the first time the season that we really saw any base running issues, too. Uh, you know, guys not taking the extra base or misreading plays, getting doubled off, those types of things. And, and you know, that's going to happen from time to time. Baseball in a 50-60 game season like a college baseball has, you're going to see all types of things on a given night. It's just that place, McKeithen, has been a house of horrors for Florida State of late, certainly was in Super Regionals. And even though they did the little things last night, they just didn't cash in. And let's not forget, uh, last time I checked, Florida was the number one ranked team in the country. This is true. Uh, we don't like saying that uh, in Tallahassee, but that being the case. So FSU drops to 13-4, and four, Gators improved to 18-1. and one. Uh, A huge series. Uh, I guess you can't say there was a letdown, but a huge series sweep last weekend over Georgia Tech, also a ranked club. And then uh, Florida State continuing on their ACC schedule. They travel up to Pitt, uh, a three-game series that starts Friday. A previously undefeated Georgia Tech club, the last undefeated team in Division One baseball, 12-0. They leave 12-3. and and, and it's a good test for the young kids. I mean, make no mistake, this roster for Florida State is young. This pitching staff. <laughs> Do they even have shaving? Exactly. No, no shaving. There are no dollar shave club members in that group. They don't need to institute the Yankee policy. No, 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 no because they, they take care of it on their own. But uh, a Checks in the boxes for the coaching staff this weekend to look at some of the younger pieces in the lineup, like a Kyle Raleigh, and then also some of the younger pieces in the rotation. Cole Sands on Sunday pitches to what Florida State was doing, which was mashing the baseball all weekend long against Georgia Tech. And, and I was interested a little bit in Eleven's comments uh, as it related to um, the starter last night. Um, was it Holton, I think, started? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, got rocked a little bit, but Eleven said he would not hesitate to put the ball back in his hands. He, he has confidence in these young kids. Well, and it's a huge experience for them too i mean there aren't as many raucous environments at like like dick hauser stadium on a friday night or, or a sunday afternoon and down in mckeithen is one of those 5700 i think i read he will always point out i was at a game keith probably four or five seasons ago justin gonzalez hit one of the longest home runs i've ever seen in college baseball and this is with the dead bats and after the game 11 always makes a point. It's amazing how they set attendance records when we come down here to visit the game. What a draw we are. What a draw we are. Exactly right. But again, it's something that Tyler Holton can take and use for the rest of this season and a launching point for his career because now he's pitched in, in the firestorm that is a, a place like McKeithen. Change of gears. Uh, the women are, are traveling to Texas. Uh, Sue Cimarron and their group in fifth seed. Uh, we'll go up uh, against, uh, in College Station, they'll play uh, MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, I've fallen in love with MTSU. Our, our listeners may not be familiar, but uh, one of my teammates from way back in the day on the football side uh, uh, is the head coach on the football uh, for the football club there at MTSU. And Rick and, and his group have done a wonderful job. Uh, took them their first bowl um, victory. And it's just been fun watching them on the football side. On the women's side, not a bad draw for the ladies. It's not a bad draw. However, the five seed is something that you kind of take a second gander at because they, if you look at the yeah. RPI, they're 15th in the country. It's it's interesting that they weren't a top four seed 
you'd like to have hosted here for at least a game. But, uh, you know, you're right. The draw is favorable, and it, it looks like this is a team that can make some noise. Of course, it's always about are you in UConn's side of things, but uh, the ladies look like they, they might be able to make some noise in the tournament, which they typically do. I was impressed with uh, with uh, the ladies' uh, ACC record, 13-3. Uh, and three. Uh, They set the, the school mark with 14 wins last year, uh, just one below that. But, yeah, I was going to comment uh, the seeding. Of course, we've heard all the weeping and gnashing of teeth of, A, who got into the men's uh, NCAA bracket, and then number two, who was seeded where. Uh, but, yeah, uh, even though I don't follow women's basketball as closely as I, I, I would like and I need to, I was a little bit shocked at that fifth, fifth seed as well. However, uh, you're in. You know where you're playing. One thirty tip uh, on Saturday. Uh, if you win that one, you get uh, Texas A&M, most likely, who will be victorious over Missouri. They'll be at home in College uh, Station, so that'll be an interesting matchup as well. Wish the ladies a lot of luck. Men's basketball. Do we we played a game last night? Didn't yeah, we? in the uh, the NIT. I think it was locally here in Tallahassee. Yeah, I think I had. I, I, in fact, now that I think about it, I was there. You might have been calling the game. Might have been. What did you? What did you Kids played well. Uh, they didn't play great. Uh, they played well. The the uh, freshmen went off, uh, Beasley and Bacon. Uh, they never cease to amaze me in many of the things that they do. They scored a combined, what, uh, 40, yeah. 44, I think, 45 yeah. uh, between the two of them. And um, and in the last six or eight minutes of that, that second half, it, it was the, the B&B show period the end. It was. They, yeah, they pulled away. Uh, Davidson got it to a bit of a, a, a close margin, but then next thing you know, I, I look away for five minutes, and all of a sudden we're in the 80s right, right. out of nowhere. Um, but but to me, my, my whole thing on Florida State and the NIT is if they care, I care. I just don't know if they're going to care. Last night proved to me that, that these guys really are looking at this as an opportunity to launch into next season with some momentum. And you, you had no better seat than courtside. I was watching on TV so I could watch baseball and basketball at the same time. But it's apparent that they're invested, and that's not always going to be the case, especially with some of the older guys. Like, you know, Devin Booker and Boris and, and Monte Brandon, they have to be devastated that they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Because they will not have made it for their career. Exactly. But but still, I mean, you, this team has always had heart. They've always had the ability to counterpunch all season long. Even in the middle of a game, if somebody goes on a run, they will answer. Or in a... In a a two and five start in ACC play, they answer. It looks like they've answered again. And Florida State will travel to Indiana. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I've not been to the Valpo. Uh, well, they will take on uh, Valparaiso uh, Thursday night, seven o'clock tip. It'll be on one of the uh, family. Uh, of ESPN Networks. I think it's ESPN2. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, you should be able to get it in Tallahassee. And I'm excited to see will that enthusiasm and as you characterize it, the want to, will that continue? I think it will. Once you get over that first one, taste a little bit of victory, gets a little easier, one would hope. And then all of a sudden, the carrot being dangled of being able to play in the garden is uh, is actually very appealing to the players to play where, where the greats have in, in MSG. That's the one thing the NIT does have going for it. And last we heard from Valpo, they beat us in the second round of the NCAA tournament after Bryce Drew hit a miracle shot. Coach's kid, now he's the coach himself up there. Exactly, and, uh, and that's going to be interesting. I, I was talking with uh, Gene Deckerhoff after the game uh, last night, and he brought up that. I had forgotten about that. He brought it up. He, he doesn't forget anything. And uh, I'm interested to see how Gene reacts to, to seeing Bryce uh, that last time because that was a very, very disappointing uh, loss that FSU suffered at directly at his hands, as they say. Uh, let's see. We missed anything? We women's and men's. And, oh, football. Football? What's that? Football. Do people care about football in this town? Uh, people care about this uh, football in this town about 364 days a year, and I think only it gets usurped, if that's the right word, by uh, uh, by Christmas. One only knows. One only knows. Remind you that this segment is brought to you by our friends at Madison Social. We've got to start calling them Madso. I've, I've figured that out. That's what the kiddies call it. Yeah, Madso. Trivia night on Tuesday night. Wednesdays is Wednesday night. Uh, free giveaway with a food purchase. Bring a date or a friend. Just be social. The TPT uh, is their version of Throwback Thursday. Uh, you can go on their Facebook page, look them up on the Instagram, tag a friend. Y'all can connect there for a free happy hour drink. And the Tallahassee Bucket List Challenge is still going on at Madison Social. I don't, I, does Matt ever run out of ideas? No, no. They're the most aggressive social media company I've ever seen in my life, and that's why they get all the people every anyway, night. Anyway, check them out. And uh, if you're not interested in Throwback Thursday, tomorrow night would be just a great night uh, to, to come in 
and uh, pick up uh, a, a drink and, and watch the Knowles on TV. Seven o'clock tip as they take on Valpo. Well, that's that's segment number one. We've got more to come. Keith Jones with you here, flying solo, uh, left seat as they call him. Used to being over there on that right. Much seat. more space for you on this side of the glass. Yeah, exactly. Now. That's amazing. We'll we'll catch up with Tom in a little bit. Uh, Tim Linfelt will join us next segment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Keith Jones with you here. Tom Block will join us in a little bit. He is out and about entertaining young children. Time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report, the best place to catch everything Seminole, most comprehensive coverage of FSU athletics, things like the women's tournament game coming up on Saturday, the men tomorrow night, spring pra- – oh, spring practice. Timmy, is it time for spring practice already? We're joined by Tim Linefeld. Time for spring practice already. Can you believe it? And, and in fact, I think by by most standards across the country, Florida State's actually getting started a little bit later. Uh, a lot of schools got started earlier this month. I think a couple of got going uh, in late February. So Florida State's kind of bringing up the rear a little bit. Well, it's it's interesting, and y'all make fun of me all the time for bringing up the past. But uh, you know, thirty something years ago, spring practice began on May first. It was twenty days, every day in pads. You went four days, four times a week for five weeks. You played the spring game at the end of May. Uh, it's a little different format these days, is it not? And you loved spring, didn't you? That was oh, always your favorite gosh. part of being a college football player. That that was the most horrendous month of my life. And fortunately, I only had to do it three times because you don't do it your freshman year. I didn't come in early. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit different maybe than it was uh, back then. But, but it's still uh, plenty interesting. And, and I think maybe with the – what you're hoping to get out of spring is, is probably a little bit different than what Coach Bowden was doing back then. But there's still plenty to pay attention to, of course. First couple of days in shorts, uh, but the pads will come on pretty quickly. Uh, what, what do you think, uh, what's Jimbo saying about the overall approach, what he's looking to get out of uh, spring practice this year? You know, a lot of times, and at least in years past, and, and, uh, and I, I think it'll probably apply again this year, is they really want to get back to the mentals, the, the basic foundation. Uh, of football and play in your positions. And it's much less about specific game plans and specific opponents, which you would expect, and more just about making sure that you know how to do what it is that you're supposed to do. It, it really is sort of a, a football boot camp, so to speak, which is the way it's been really uh, since Jimbo took over. This is the seventh spring already. Can you believe that? Wow, that is amazing. Some uh, interesting segment battles. We'll start with the most uh, visible, the most uh, highly uh, watched, uh, that being the quarterback with McGuire out. Uh, the young kids will get additional reps. Uh, the quote-unquote veterans, uh, both of them, uh, which have what, one year each. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you see happening at the quarterback position? Uh, what, what do you think Malik will do, and how do you think they'll, they'll, they'll govern things as they go forward? Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's something that we're going to kind of have to watch. It might be a little bit maybe even a week or two before you really get a sense for how it's playing out. I can tell you it sort of seems as though DeAndre Francois might have most buzz around him right now. Obviously that can change really quickly, but just based on what we've heard from his teammates, uh, he was the primary scout team quarterback for much of last year, uh, and and he just raved about him, raved about his athleticism, raved about his arm strength, uh, how committed he was to making the defense better on the scout team. Because, you know, that, that can be a tough job, especially when you're a highly touted quarterback expecting to come in and play, and, and you're on the scout team as a freshman. And some guys might not respond to that very well, but, but he seemingly did. Uh, for J.J. Cosentino, I think this is a really big spring for him. Uh, unfortunately, and perhaps a little bit unfairly, most people's last memory of him, maybe their only memory of him, was from the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl uh, a couple months ago, where, we're, really, let's be honest, the circumstances there were, were about as bad for him as they possibly could have been uh, in terms of a, a surprise injury to Sean McGuire. You come in, uh, not really, I mean, he, he certainly didn't look like he was, he was prepared to play like he was ready to play. And I think the moment just kind of got a little too big for him. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that he's not a good quarterback or can't be a good quarterback, and it's, it's tough to judge him on that handful of plays. But at the same time, he could do himself a really big favor by coming out and just having a good spring and looking like he belongs 
on this stage. Uh, the other side, like you mentioned, uh, Malik Henry, I think he's sort of the wild card in all this, right? I, I don't know that any of us would expect Jimbo Fisher to give the nod to a true freshman uh, in his offense. Even even Jameis Winston uh, didn't do that, and he was going up against a fifth-year senior as well, and E.J. Manuel. Uh, but it, it's hard to argue with Malik Henry's pedigree, five-star prospect, number one quarterback in the country, a guy that you know, Jimbo had zeroed in on years ago as Florida State's potential quarterback of the future. So he's already said uh, at National Signing Day that he expects Malik Henry to have a tremendous chance to, to win the starting job, not just to come out as the top backup, but to win the starting job. So uh, I'm, I'm as fired up as anybody just to see what the kid's made of and, and see what we can expect from him. What's the early buzz on Henry about his ability to pick up what, what we all consider a pretty complicated and, and a lot of reads after the snap offense that Jimbo employs? What's the, the early uh, feedback you're hearing from his ability to, to pick up this scheme that Jimbo uses? Uh, so far, it seems like it's been really good. And, you know, if you if you look out, uh, you know, he plays, uh, as does DeAndre Francois, for at least a little bit with, uh, with with Chris Winkie, has a relationship with Chris Winkie, who has sort of become or had become a, a, an all-star coach on, on the high school circuit before taking a job in the NFL. So uh, if, if Chris Winkie, I think, can, can give a guy his endorsement and, and say – you know, if anybody knows what it takes to succeed at the college level, I think it would be it would be Chris. And if he can, you know, put his stamp of approval on a player like he has with both Henry and Francois, I think that speaks a lot. We'll obviously learn a little bit more over the next few weeks. Uh, it's easy to forget that it's still, uh, you know, he's going to take a snap in practice. That'll change, or I guess that will have changed uh, this afternoon. But but it's hard to know for sure what a guy is going to do uh, until he actually does it. But uh, leaning on his high school pedigree and, and how successful he was, uh, there's definitely reason for optimism. One of the things that that I'm concerned about, simply because I'm I'm the fundamentalist, you got to block, you got to tackle, uh, you got to win in special teams. Florida State's got to turn over both kickers, and we know that uh, Roberto's younger brother is here. I think we've been lulled and and maybe justifiably so into believing there'll be no drop off there, but there's got to be some kind of change. And and you've got to replace a punter, which who was much maligned, but uh, ended up having a, a pretty nice year in his senior year. Am I nuts for thinking that the the kicking game needs to be something that needs to be paid attention to in the spring, so that it doesn't become a problem in the fall? Oh, absolutely, and and I think that starts, of course, with Ricky Aguayo, Roberto's little brother, who's already here on campus, and, and we'll be getting those reps because. When you look at it, unless something weird happens, uh, Ricky Aguayo, I don't want to say he's guaranteed to be Florida State's kicker this fall, but you got to think he's the, the heaviest of favorites, maybe across any of those positions, uh, to, to win that job, just because who else is there? Uh, Logan Tyler will get here in the fall, and, and he sort of seems like he's in the same position. Uh, unless uh, a mystery candidate emerges from the surprise that happens, you know, he has maybe the inside track to be Florida State's starting punter. And I was actually told. Uh, I, I forget who it was, so so I apologize to to one of the recruiting analysts that that you that I know uh, from either Rivals or Twenty Four Seven Sports. One of those guys said that the Logan Tyler is actually a really talented kicker in his own right, and he might have something to say uh, in Florida State's kicker race. So that competition will be will be really interesting. But it's going to be tough for Ricky Aguayo, I think, just to live up to to the standard of of his brother because Roberto, aside from being such a really good kicker, he was such a a, a visible sort of face of the program, especially by the end of his career, one of the faces of the program. He, you know, he's one of the most high-profile kickers and, and sort of charismatic kickers that, that you'd ever been around, I think. And, and so the, the thing that we forget about Roberto is that he did have a year to learn as a freshman. When he, when he came in and, and won the Lou Groves Award, he was a, a redshirt freshman who had spent a year learning and from and practicing with a guy in Dustin Hopkins who's now kicking in the NFL. Right, well, right. You know, Ricky, Ricky's not doing that. And obviously, if, 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 you, uh, if you need a resource to lean on, uh, his older brother is a really good one. But, but I do think there is at least a little bit of a difference coming in and being expected to perform as a true freshman. So it's something to keep an eye on. But you know what? The other side of that is maybe those Aguayos, all of them are just wired a little bit differently and they don't think the way. You and I do. Well, kicker, kickers are wild, wired a little differently to begin with. Uh, we, we we don't have enough time to go into that, but you may be exactly right. Uh, shift uh, well, piggybacking on one of your prior comments, you talked about uh, visible and and face of the program. One of the things that that I thought last year really got tested was leadership, and and this year, beginning in in spring, uh, I think Jimbo and his staff are really focused on trying to find out who the true leaders are on both sides of the ball for this club, and I'm not going to be surprised if it ends up being some sophomores or juniors as opposed to just the seniors. What are you seeing? Oh, 
I absolutely, and, and I think especially on defense, where first and foremost, uh, Demarcus Walker, I think, is really making a concerted effort to to step up and and, and play that leadership role. I think that played a factor in his decision to return and, and and take ownership of the defense. He's obviously a senior, but the other guy who everybody is raving about and said is really really taking uh, ownership of the defense, especially in the secondary, is Derwin James. Uh, he's a sophomore. Uh, he looks, I mean, if you just look at him in his face, he looks like he's 25 and playing in the NFL. Obviously, one of the most physically impressive players, I think, to come through here uh, in the last several years. And, and you just watch him on the field, watching him in fourth quarter drills a couple weeks ago, watching the way he takes command, watching guys look at him. Uh, it's obvious that, that you know he has the respect uh, of his locker room and in his segment, uh, even as a sophomore. And, and we've seen, you know, if, if, the, if the sophomore or even a freshman wants to, to take control of that role, and teammates respond to him. You know the coaching staff and Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you know they'll support him, uh, and they'll, they'll kind of enable that that type of leadership dynamic. So uh, I think that's really important and definitely encouraging. Uh, you know the other thing that, that Jimbo always says, and I'm sure you found this to be true as well, is that it's it's a really good thing when your best players are also your best leaders, and that certainly is the case with with Marcus and, and Derwin James on the offensive side of the ball. I think it, it starts with Dalvin Cook, uh, who again is your best player on offense and is. Really isn't the loudest guy uh, in the room, but you know what, what most guys, what players have said is, and he's one of those that maybe might re- remind you a little bit of Rashad Green, and that he doesn't always say much, but when he does talk, uh, it tends to carry a little bit more weight because you know that he's picking his battles rather than just running his mouth whenever he sees fit. So uh, that's a big start of it. You'd still like to see somebody emerge, uh, you know, from that receiving core and and, and get those guys, uh, you know. Sort of stuff, somebody to rally around. I thought the the, the three upperclassmen receivers, Travis Rudolph, uh, Boba Wilson, and Kermit Whitfield, all had really nice seasons last year. But there were also uh, sometimes just just some inconsistencies that I think that Jimbo Fisher would would certainly uh, admit to. You'd like to see those guys maybe step up, especially with so many young receivers now in the fold. Whether that be uh, George Campbell, Auden Tate, Nyquan Murray. Now they got Armand about fifteen Lane. at that position. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And and somebody to sort of whip those guys uh, together and. and it has to made a rally around. I think would be a really good thing. And then, and then finally, you know, we, I'm sure we're going to make a lot out of the quarterback position over the next several weeks. But I, I think Sean McGuire is, is a really effective leader uh, in, in players, especially the offensive line. That some of those linemen that he's known for years and years from coming up from the third team, the second team, and the first team. You know, they they definitely play for him and, and follow him. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Jimbo Fisher said that the the quarterback job uh, is open, and whoever your starting quarterback is needs to be. You know the kind of player that, that that people feel like they can follow, and if that's Sean McGuire, great. Uh, and if it's somebody else, then that's the quality they're going to have to show. Hey Tim, Tom Lang here. I got a question for you. Hey Tom, how's it going, man? Good, good, good to hear. Is it. Tom not here today. Tom Block. Who? Who's that? <laughs> Tom and KJ. That's the show. It's Tom and KJ, right? Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> My question for you: It's the seventh spring. You mentioned that. That was the first spring camp uh, I covered. Was when Jimbo Fisher took over. That was the first time I was ever on the beat. But he has different attitudes every year. And coming out of fourth quarter drills, I know the fan base might expect more this season. Certainly in the win column. But is it fair to say that Jimbo Fisher and the coaching staff expect more from this team? Because last year was about teaching. If you re- recall his opening press conference and remarks, he was talking about coachable and teaching and hungry. Do you think he expects more, and do you think he's going to approach spring that way because this team is now matured enough? Uh, I, th- I think he does. I think uh, based on you'd like to have that transition year as last year, and now that year is over. But I do think that you know, the fact of the matter is there, there's still some questions that, that need to be ironed out. Uh, chief among them, of course, uh, I mean, it, it just is what it is. It's the quarterback. They have to get that nailed down. Uh, there are some big holes to replace on defense. And while there are some talented guys, waiting in the wings, uh, it's the same situation where you're, you're asking guys who haven't done it to, to do it. Uh, you know, look at a player like Tavares McFadden, who we all think is going to be a really good player. Well, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, so I think if they can get that nailed down, uh, and that's what these next few weeks in spring are for, then yeah, I think the, uh, the expectations can kind of climb. In our closing minutes here, uh, Tim, uh, both of the basketball programs are playing in the postseason. The men will play tomorrow night at 7. Uh, Valpo, the women, will play uh, in College Station against MTSU on Saturday at one thirty. What's What's the buzz around the Moore Center, uh, men and women, basketball-wise? I think the, the women were a little bit disappointed to not be hosting. They were really hoping that they had done enough to, to host the first two rounds. That said, I think they're probably, and this is just me inferring, probably pretty pleased to not be in UConn's bracket. So, uh, so that's always helpful. And, and the men, you know, I, I thought the, the, the first half of that NIT game 
looked uh, pretty sloppy and slow, but in the second half they played really, really well, and, and maybe that could be a springboard into something a little bit better going forward. Uh, you know, Dwayne Bacon told me last night, said, look, we want, to win, we want a ring, and we want a national championship ring, and we're not going to get that, but if we're going to be in this tournament, we might as well go ahead and get this ring too. So uh, I think maybe just getting that one win might be enough to, to feel the motivation for the rest of the tournament and uh, and maybe hope that they can get some things done and maybe make a trip to New York. Well, and, and we didn't even talk about it. You get them two more times, but the baseball team falls to Florida. Uh, any quick observations in our closing moments about that contest? Uh, I didn't get to see the game. I was at the basketball game last night. Uh, it's so hard to take anything from midweek baseball games. Asking a freshman and Tyler Holton to, to start in Gainesville uh, in, in that setting, is it's always going to be a challenge. So I wouldn't read too terribly much into it. Obviously, you would have, you would have rather won. You'd rather beat the Gators, but I wouldn't go hitting the panic button. Just kidding. Understood. As always, Tim, appreciate your time. Appreciate you. You got it, fellas. We'll see you. Tim Linnefeld, Seminoles.com inside reporter. Remind you, the best place to catch everything Seminole Athletics is at Seminoles.com. Tim and his group do a wonderful job there. He joins us every week and uh, has become a very good friend. Uh, he's not traveling uh, as we head to uh, Valpo, uh, but uh, so I won't get dinner with him tonight. But uh, That's a good uh, sign if you want to win the game tomorrow. I, would, I was waiting for you to jump in and bring that up. We're waiting for you to jump in and bring that up. We're just getting started here on the front row. Keith Jones absent Tom. Bo- oh, wait a minute. Tom will join us next segment. So we'll be back to the regular full strength. There we go. Now yeah. he's on the phone. He'll be on the phone. All right. So now he has to worry about the loud noises that that pipe into their ear. Let's don't tell him. Okay. Anyway, stay tuned. We'll be right back right here on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Welcome back to The Front Row. Keith Jones here with you. been flying solo. And, and and I don't like it. It's lonely on this side of the glass. Tommy, can, can you get Tom for me? We have him punched up and, and connected for you. Mr. Block, where are you? Mr. Jones, greetings from the Big Easy. How are you? We're doing great, Tommy. How are you and the kids doing? Doing well. I uh, explained to our listeners in the first segment that uh, you and Laura got started a little late in life. And while it's uh, Leon County... Uh, school spring break. Uh, I do not have children in Leon County School. So during the first segment, you know what I did? I you did. did the I don't have to do that no more dance. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Funny how I figured that out. <laughs> uh, I know you keep up with things. I know you're aware of things. And certainly we talked before you left. But uh, big picture, big picture. Spring practice starts today, started uh, today. Um, uh, you've been following this program, been around this program a long time. Seventh spring practice for Jimbo, which doesn't seem possible. Uh, it's an important time that uh, probably people don't pay enough attention to, is it not? Yeah, although I would agree. Uh, I mean, I'd agree with that sentiment, although in years where there's a quarterback battle, people pay more attention. And there that is true. More that is true. Spring practice. That is true, and we certainly have one now. Uh, your prediction, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I've been trying to uh, – I knew that was where we'd start this conversation, and I can argue it a million different ways. I do think it's hard to predict that right now because you just don't have a feel, at least we don't, on the outside. Maybe Jimbo does already on on how the young kids, mainly uh, Malik Henry and DeAndre Francois, are going to handle everything. you got a little bit better idea with DeAndre since he's been here a year. And uh, So my guess, if you're asking me to pick one guy, I think it'll be Francois at the end of it. But, uh, you know, 15 practices from now, if, if, if they just haven't progressed at all, um uh, you know, it's hard to say. When I say DeAndre at the end of it, <clears throat> I guess I'm saying it at the end of spring, but I think ultimately for that Ole Miss game, too, although the quarterback battle will, will have Sean McGuire back in it when we get to fall camp, uh, I can't imagine that Jimbo's going to definitively say that one of the two young kids is his starter for opening day. They're going to go through fall camp, and he'll take that down to the last week and the last possible moment, just as he did last year and just as he's done previously before he announces who the starter is. You know, I, one of the things that I'm concerned about, uh, I'm not concerned about the running backs. 
I'm I'm not concerned about the offensive line from the standpoint that uh, you'll have a couple of kids that are out with injuries and and, and the cohesive cohesiveness of that unit really becomes important or or focus uh, in the in the fall. But one of the things that does concern me, interested in your reaction uh, with the young quarterbacks who will obviously struggle, how much better can this young wide receiver group get? When, when they're not getting the ball thrown to them the way that a, that a junior or a senior would get the ball to them. Yeah, and that's really where my concern is, too, is the, is the pass catchers. And to be fair, I think Jimbo, was, he was really pleased with Bobo all last year in terms of his work ethic and what he brought to the table. And about halfway through the season, he sort of had similar sentiment about Kermit. Uh, so I think you know you're going to get, you know, you're probably going to get the ceiling of those two guys as seniors. They've they've matured. They they figured out how to work hard. Kermit's figured out how to slow the game down a little bit, despite his speed on the field. Um, and, and so to me, Travis Rudolph is the mystery guy. He's been the up and down guy that, as a junior next year, really needs to not be up and down anymore. He just needs to be up. And so if you get that, you've got three solid guys there. But what you still don't have is the big target like a Kelvin Benjamin. And you have guys like that on the roster. So, you know, I'll call that a wild card. Which guy is it that steps up from that group? Uh, I mean, I don't see any way that the receiving core is not better next year than what it was this past year because, uh, A, those guys are all a year older in the system and more mature, and, B, it wasn't like the quarterback position was really that settled last year. I mean, when Golson was starting, his timing was off. He was throwing late or behind receivers. Then McGuire got in, and the team really responded to McGuire. It's obvious that they like him a lot, but he has his deficiencies too. So, uh, you know, even if it's one of the young guys and they're going to miss probably more than here and there, you know, they'll miss their share, I do think the receiving core will take a step forward. It has to take a step forward if Florida State's going to legitimately be in the national title conversation. Other side of the ball, we talked about the defensive backs a little bit, and we talked with uh, uh, Tim Lenfield about leadership, the one area that I wanted to save and talk to you about. And it's, it's becoming a big topic, but in some respects it's a lesser topic, uh, and that being the linebacker group. Uh, you know, the way Florida State plays in their base defense, you need three linebackers and you need three backups. That's six. Uh, I don't even think there's six healthy bodies at the linebacker position in the spring. The argument – against worrying about that is that you're only going to be playing base about 10 or 12 percent of the time the rest of the time you're with two backers and five defensive backs what what do you make out of this linebacker situation what i make out of it is sort of where we've been the last two years which is if matthew thomas is healthy and eligible you're probably not nearly as concerned about depth at the linebacker position you know right now we're hearing he's back if that stays true and he stays healthy next year we probably won't hear a ton about it uh, if he's not and somehow is out of the equation again, then we're you know that's going to be the popular topic of conversation is why is Florida State thin at the linebacker spot again? You're right though. Uh, there's been a lot of external worry about that, and not that Jimbo's going to disclose in a press conference that yeah we're really decidedly short at the linebacker position. But I don't get the sense uh, when I've talked to he or others behind the scenes that they've been in in panic mode about that. Probably most notably because of what you just said that they're in. They're in nickel an awful lot, and and that's how they've worked through it. Well, and speaking of Coach uh, Jimbo Fisher, he uh, uh, opened up with a press conference earlier today, Tommy, so we're going to step aside. We're going to let our listeners uh, uh, get a little insight into Jimbo's comments. Uh, 1.30 press conference today as he talks about the uh, upcoming spring practice. Here's Jimbo. Very excited for this spring. As I say, spring is one of my favorite times of the year because uh, I think it's one of the first indicators of the attitude and demeanor that your team's going to take, and you see if the off-season has made a difference in some guys and some things you want them to step up in. And there's a lot of new roles and, uh, that guys have to face, even guys that are returning. They have to take more responsibility and things like that. So you see how that not only affects their leadership part, but does it affect how they play and you know, how much can you really add to their plate and all the different things. But you know, I, I'm very excited about the spring, was very pleased with our off-season. I mean, we had good days and bad days, but you know, it's typical. Uh, I think overall our strength and conditioning, we, we've gotten bigger, we've gotten stronger, and in really a short amount of time when you really think about it. I mean, you get at the end, middle of January and through February and just a little bit of March here, but the kids have, have responded very well. Uh, looking forward to say again to what we can do in the three different phases. I think uh, offensively, I think we have to take a lot of strides. Uh, we did some great things last year, but we have to continue to do better things. One of the best things we did was turnover. We only had 13 on the year, but that, then we had nine of those in two games. So the rest of the time we took care of the ball, but we can't have that happening. But 
did a pretty good job for the most part taking got to continue to do that but there's a lot of aspects you know being physical we have to continue to be more physical being able to continue to run the football we got a great back and uh, some again develop some depth behind him but we got to be able to run that football and then throw the play passes off of it and create the one-on-one matchups outside so up front offensive line wise we've got to totally improve and uh, keep getting better those young guys played a lot of football last year and like I tell them everybody said we got everybody back I always said this sometimes good news is everybody's back bad news is everybody's back it just depends on how, when you come back, do you say, just because I'm back, I'm better, or did I get better in the offseason? And I think that's the thing in, at all positions across the board we have to look at. We're the second winningest team in the country in the last six years with 68 wins. And uh, there's great tradition here, great history, and we build a great culture. They have to continue that culture. And we as coaches got to do a great job of teaching and finding exactly what all these guys can do and putting them in the right positions. And then they have to do a great job of learning and executing, and then at the end of the day, be productive. That's head coach uh, Jimbo Fisher, Florida State head coach Jimbo Fisher. His thoughts on the opening of spring practice. Hang with us. Tom's going to continue with us. We'll be right back here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. We are winding down here on this edition of the front row. Remind you, this segment is brought to you by our friends at Flying Bear Great American Grill. Flying Bear is a family-owned, operated restaurant located in Tallahassee's north side, as my partner Tom Block likes to call it, the uptown part, from farm-to-table dishes from local growers, plenty of palsam variety to gnaw on. Tom, did you write that? I, I did not. No, okay, just I can't claim sure. that. Just Nor sure. did I coin the phrase uptown. And uh, though no, I like to refer to it, it that way, I'm really just repeating what others say. Flying Bear, Great American Grill, located at 6265 Old Water Oak Road in Tallahassee. They're open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9 p.m., 11 a.m., 9 p.m., Saturday, Friday and Saturday, rather, 11 to 10. Tom, uh, change of gears a little bit. We've talked about spring practice, uh, both of the basketball teams, men and women's team, are continuing uh, in the uh, in a tournament. Um, Coach Sue and her group will open up on uh, Saturday, uh, 1.30 tip against MTSU out in College uh, Station. Um, many people, Tim Lenefelt included, think that uh, that fifth seed that the ladies got was, uh, was not correct. They should be a fourth or third seed, should be hosting. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I can only speak to that from the FSU vantage point. I can't claim to have extensive knowledge of the teams that are the the uh, top 16 seeds. Uh, I think it came down to, uh, at the end of the year, they lost a game. Well, one of two games. They lost on the road at Syracuse. And uh, I presume Syracuse is a host school, but they were, the, uh, they were ahead of FSU in the tournament seedings. Or two, at the ACC tournament, Florida State, even though they had beaten Miami twice this year, really laid an egg against the Canes in that game. Yeah, anytime you go uh, one and out, it doesn't matter where you come from. That that seems to handicap you. Yeah, so uh, so had they beaten Syracuse, they would have had a better draw in the ACC tournament, meaning they wouldn't have faced Miami again because they were in the 4-5 game. Or had they just beaten Miami, uh, I think they would have been a host. They were they literally were right on the bubble there between 16 and, and 17. Um, you know, that said, I know Sue Semrau made some comments, and this is sort of the uh, the age-old question regarding basketball following in Tallahassee. Uh, you know, what what does it take to to get the support that you see for basketball programs elsewhere? And Sue's done a tremendous job, and she, I don't know what the average attendance is. It's probably between two and three grand, but, you know, they're going to Texas A&M where they average five grand, and there's lots of other places, uh, maybe in smaller towns, where they average six, seven, eight thousand, and and ultimately – whether the NCAA would admit that or not, uh, you know they're looking at that when they decide where to award the, uh, you know, who to choose or designate as a host site. Quick turnaround for the men. They play on Tuesday night. They defeat Davidson. Uh, we'll be tipping off uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, 7 o'clock in Indiana against Valpro. Uh, not a great first half, a good second half. Kids acted like they actually wanted to be there. That's always the question with the NIT, KJ, as you know from your work with basketball over the years. I, I would think that uh, with a young team, they should want to be there. They should want to play more games. Uh, and this is a case where playing more games will be beneficial for this group, uh, presuming that uh, the core of this team comes back and that they're not moving on to the NBA. So uh, it is good to know that. Valpo will be a challenge. Valpo is really good defensively. I was reading a statistic where they've, they held 11 or 12 
D1 programs to one of their worst offensive nights of the year, uh, which means that Florida State's got to be disciplined. Otherwise, they're going to be in trouble there. Because, as long you know, as they don't play zone. With defense. Please don't let them play zone. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know enough about Valpo to know that. I know they got one kid who shoots about 47 48% on threes, so they are going to have to D up on him. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I made the comment earlier this year, Keith, that uh, – you know, nobody gets excited about the NIT, and I think that's true at that point. But once your team is in the NIT, then you might as well pull for them. And I think that's what, what Noel Nation is doing. And so now they've gotten to 20 wins. Uh, why not win another and then another and get to New York and at least, uh, you know, get some more experience for this young team and, and make it a little more relevant, although there's no way that you can uh, make, you know, even if you win the NIT, I don't think it atones for not making the NCAA tournament. And I agree. I think it's something that you you use as a building block. Changing gears completely, Tom, you sent me something earlier this week, and I I want to spend a few moments talking about it. You and I have talked on this show uh, simply because of our background in television uh, about the ACC network and and when is it coming and and why is it not here and what's the holdup. And and there's some uh, new developments as it relates to uh, the rollout of the ACC network uh, inform our listeners bring us up to date a little bit yeah and i don't know that they're new developments so much as it's new that it went public to some degree uh you know this might be part of the reason that john swafford has been very very quiet about this uh so two things happened one last week uh dennis dodd writing a story who writes for uh cbs uh sports was writing a story about the big 12 and just a throwaway line at the end of the article he was talking about the big 12 and you know, are they going to expand? Are they going to add a championship game? Uh, a throwaway line at the end of it was that, you know, the Big 12 is is behind the Big 10 and the SEC in, in television distribution and is about to be behind the ACC, period, end of sentence, end of article. Well, so that sort of raises some questions because that would indicate that the ACC is about to get a bump from its television deals, which really hasn't been disclosed. So uh, a Louisville station had uh, Wes Durham on, who you know, the former voice of the Yellow Jackets. We've had him on the front row. Good friend of ours, yep. Yeah, and also uh, obviously calls games for the ACC now. And he was asked about that, and he said, well, you know, as of July 1st, the ACC is due $45 million from ESPN uh, if there's not a network launched. And then he sort of added, well, reportedly they're due $45 million if there's not a network. So, uh, you know, I had heard behind the scenes that more dollars was coming to the ACC if the network was not here. That's the first time I heard a quantifiable figure behind it. And you can do the math quickly and know that 45 mil to the league means an extra 3 mil per school starting July 1st for doing the same thing they're doing now and not investing in a network, but you get 3 mil uh, additional. So that bump would take, F, uh, not FSU, but the ACC past the Big 12 currently, and for all the fussing and moaning and groaning about not having an ACC network, it would put the ACC third out of the, the Power Five conferences. Uh, the Big 12 doesn't have a network. Texas is the one that's uh, benefiting there. And and the Pac-12, it's been a mess with their distribution rights. I'm um, not sure that that, that would said, be... If nobody wants to stop at 3 mil. I think fans still want to... Uh, uh, we've talked about this before. I don't know that FSU fans really care if there's a physical network. I don't think anybody is at home clamoring to see some uh, ESPN special on Wake Forest, the Tim Duncan years or something like that that's going to fill programming. I think what FSU fans care about is they want to get the revenue, commensurate it with what the SEC is getting, whatever that looks like at the end of the day. You want to pay us to not have a network, we'll take the money. You want to get us a network that uh, maybe is tied more to – uh, mobile phones and the web and that sort of thing. It's not as sexy as having your own TV channel, but if the dollars come out pretty close, uh, and to be fair, they're not going to get exact to what the SEC gets. I can't see that. That was going to be my comment. I mean, what what what's what's comparable? Because you, you just don't have the same passion, in my opinion, uh, in the ACC as the SEC and maybe even uh, the Big Ten, uh, Big 12, however, however we're calling it these days. Uh, what What is realistic becomes a question. Yeah, and I think that's the answer to why would why would ESPN pay the ACC forty five million right now if they don't have a network? Well, ESPN doesn't want to get itself in another predicament, quite frankly, like what the Longhorn Network is, where they're hemorrhaging money. Texas is sitting pretty, making fifteen mil a year, but ESPN is bleeding on that. So, rather than invest heavily in an ACC network that they don't think they can get distributed, they've been trying to figure out what is the next step, uh, and yet they know that they have to. Uh, 
compensate the ACC and, and step up their rights a little bit. So if that number is right, every other school is going to get, or every school in the ACC is going to get an additional three million, uh, you know, which is better than whatever they're losing ESPN on the Longhorn Network, and they'll continue to figure it out. I, you know, I thought for a while it wouldn't be a, a, a channel per se, meaning channel whatever on Comcast or on Directv. Um, again, at the core. I think what FSU fans should be concerned about is they need to get revenue that's that's comparable to what the SEC is getting so there's not a, a great divide that gets greater every year as you multiply the numbers out. Um but but maybe that's a you know a subscription type model where you know, you want the ACC you've got it on your phone, you got it on your computer. Uh, you know, we're getting to the age where, you know, computers are tied into your TV. It doesn't have to be a channel over, over Comcast. So I don't know. I, I, that's the great question is what does that look like? And I think the, the, the uh, ancillary part of that, I was going to say the bigger question, but certainly a, a similar question is what do sports fans, ACC sports fans, what device do they want to use to attain this information? Because as we've talked, it may be your television. It may be your computer screen, it may be your iPad, or it may be your iPhone. Uh, you made fun of me, and you continue to make fun of me all the time for my lack of technological uh, abilities. Uh, there are bunches of people out there that watch sporting live sport events on their telephone on their uh, television, and then look up statistics and other things on their iPad or their iPhone. Where is this going becomes the question, and how do people want to avail themselves of this information, I think, is is truly the bigger question. Yeah, and I, that's the question that ESPN's trying to figure out and the ACC's trying to figure out. I, I would say when you look at the SEC network, uh, I mean, the ACC can't compete with, the A, the, the number of fans that show up on Saturdays for SEC football games compared to ACC because they're, uh, you know, bigger more of them and the stadiums are bigger. passionate about it. But I do think, uh, and we heard a lot of talk about this when the ACC expanded, if you, if you look at actual headcount, you know, population, the ACC is up and down the entire eastern seaboard and has a lot of major, major markets. And they also have a brand in basketball that lends itself to more product. Now, it's not as lucrative as what the football product is, uh, but you can program four, five, six. Really, you could program all seven days of the week around ACC basketball. You might make two of those nights uh, the ACC women's basketball. But, I mean, ESPN sort of does that right now with your big Monday and there's Wednesday night games. All that could be tied into a, a doubleheader with a pregame show, a show in between, a postgame show that would get you five or six hours of, of quality ACC programming every night from, you know, say November 1 till till April 1. Uh, and, and that's without even touching football and getting into some of the other stuff. So, again, I don't see it filling out a channel, but I do think there's there's product there that can be monetized. And there are big-name, big-program schools there that are national brands, not just FSU, but Miami is, even though they've been down, and Notre Dame is, and Duke is, and Carolina is. You've got a lot of really big brands there. Uh, maybe arguably more big brands than what's in the SEC. It's just that they're not big brands in football, so the SEC is at the front of the line on that. Uh, and by the way, the Big Ten's going to be renegotiating its deal in a couple of years, so their dollars are going to go up too. Are they? But are they? Yeah. I'm, well, I can't. I can't that, because with the, the, with the subscription check, counts but, uh, going I down, that they're going to at least get a nominal bump for for their rights when that comes up. Well, that that becomes my concern. Apologize for talking over you, but uh, that becomes my concern under the old model of number of subscriptions. The ESPN subscription base is going down. This whole concept of of turning something on versus requesting something, in other words, accessing it uh, because it's there versus accessing it on demand, I think is the biggest question of any of this in the next two, three, five years. Well, and that really extends to the entire cable industry, not just to sports media Correct. rights, although sports media rights is the biggest player in that because ESPN – uh, has been the biggest, uh, you know, they get $6 a subscriber per month or something like that. But you're talking about a la carte programming, which, to be frank, I think most of us would probably choose, uh, assuming it's a reasonable price point. I would. I get, whatever it is, 400 channels at home, and I watch 20 of them, you know. So if you wanted to charge me a reasonable price for those 20, I would gladly shave uh, some dollars off my cable bill to watch those 20 or 30, whatever the number is. And I think most people probably feel that way, and that's why a lot of people are cutting the cord. Uh, for me, it's been a matter of where do you get the live sports if you completely cut the cord, uh, and there hasn't been a great answer on that so far. So what I hear you saying is I'm going to have to learn how to do on demand. 
Yeah, which that wouldn't be that hard. I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, instead of paying 150 bucks or whatever for your cable bill, would you trade? Would you trade that and pay 25 bucks for Hulu or something, and another 30 bucks to get your sports package if it included the ACC network, for lack of a better term, and and all the, the programming that comes with it? I think most of us uh, probably would to, to save the dollars monthly. You're gonna drag my butt into the 21st century, whether I like it or not. I, I'm gonna try. Hey, one one interesting thing. Now, this is separate. All this. I read a commentary in a Boston paper this week in light of in light of BC going winless in football and basketball. The, the premise of the article was Boston College should get out of the ACC because they just can't compete. Even with the dollars, they're they're devaluing their their brand and their success. And it was an interesting article because you don't hear of anybody trying to get out of a, of a Power Five conference. And this was not BC speaking. This was just a uh, you know I guess a columnist's opinion about it. But that would be interesting if if that got uh, serious for Boston College. I don't think it will. I mean, they're in the middle of building a new indoor practice facility, so they're in, they're investing the dollars they're getting to try and keep up. But it is interesting that you would hear some of that uh, in this day and age. We'll just tell the BC fans to concentrate on their hockey team. Well, and that was the point. They're good in hockey, and the ACC doesn't care about hockey, so let's go in a league where we care about it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, the insight of Mr. Tom Block. You and Laura, enjoy your time. Tell the kids hello for me, and uh, we'll catch you next week here in Tallahassee, Tommy. Safe travels. Uh, have a good time at Valpo. Get another W. We'll we'll do our best. We'll do our best. We'll be back. Wrap it up right after this on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back to finish it up. Well, I'm back to finish it up, along with my producer, Tom Lane. Keith Jones here with you. Tom Block away, but joined us uh, in the last couple of segments. Uh, Tom, did you ever take uh, plane lessons, learn how to fly an airplane? No. I, I've kind of been half interested and half afraid of it all at the same time i, I did did a lot did, did quite a bit of training soloed and all that good stuff really uh, as we close here we've talked about men's and women's basketball spring practice the baseball uh, i'll leave our listeners with this the, in, in a private airplane the left seat is the pilot seat and the right seat is the co-pilot seat uh, i'm used to sitting in the right seat mr block sits in this seat yeah i noticed you changed up the mic you changed up the seat you went full-on driver today uh i'm not sure i like it Secondly, I'm not sure I'm very good at it. I think I've decided I like being a co-pilot a whole lot longer, better than being a pilot. What do you think? Well, if we're in a plane, though, I'd rather you be a pilot, seeing as you've had training. Well, I, I, I do think if it's a prop, I could get us down. If it's a jet, uh, strap on a parachute or say your prayers. We're in trouble. <laughs> Uh, but it's been fun. Uh, we enjoy coming to you each week here on the front row. Uh, Tom Lang, our producer, does a great job. Uh, my good friend Tom Block uh, is uh, the anchor, and I'm kind of the bobber on the uh, the waves of the ocean, just up and down, going wherever it goes. I'd call you the buoy. That's what I'd call you. I'm the buoy now. Yes. You, right. you're is that safe. a reference to my rear end? or is No, it? no. People go to you for safety. Ah, okay. Well, well, let me add that to my resume. There you go. You're welcome. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Listen in every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. This is Keith Jones for Tom Block, and you're listening to The Front Row.